2: Uh, And George, of course, who who also joined us. Locker Room
3: is up next. Hello, I'm Lee James, host of Sports World on the BBC World Service. For the best of previews to the sporting weekend, listen to George Addo Jr. on The Locker Room on Joy 99.7 FM.
0: Live on radio, live online, this is the Locker Room on Joe 99.7 FM with George Ardu Junior.
4: The European football season largely comes to a close this weekend with some titles, European sports and relegation escape routes very much on the line. And
3: is it going to be an opportunity? There is the chance which has taken Alair for Borussia Dortmund. Is it going to be? Oh Royce was sliding in. Alair has banged the city they saw insignia of the Bohusia beer company here's a chance to make absolutely sure and they've done that
4: In Germany, Borussia Dortmund could win the Bundesliga ahead of Bayern Munich. Paris Saint-Germain are on course to win Liga. Following the 10-point reduction from Juventus, the top four battle in Italy will go down to the wire. And we have our taps on all games in France, Germany, Italy and Spain. In England, it's all down to the relegation battle. The
5: trapdoor creaks ominously. Leeds approach the brink after a day that's brought a sharp reality to their relegation fears. A dramatic D-Day victory proved enough. Last season, they need the same again. Only a win and a massive favour elsewhere will do. Leeds on the edge of relegation. They've been built for the final whistle. Everton are throwing it into the box. is winning the header. Keen has scrambled in, we've got it home. Yeri Mina has scored. Oh, Yeri Mina has scored right at the death. How big a goal is that for Everton?
4: Two of Everton, Leicester City and Leeds United are likely to join Southampton into the championships. We have a preview as the English Premier League rounds up. Also coming up,
5: it's Perez in the Principality, he wins the Monaco Grand Prix! Carlos Sainz once more has to settle for a runners-up spot behind a Red Bull here in Monaco. Max Verstappen completes the podium with third place and Charles Leclerc in his own race comes home to finish for the first time but that might not be too much comfort for a race where he led the early stages.
4: Formula One returns this week following the cancellation of the emilia Romagna Grand Prix last weekend. Because of major flooding in the region, Max Verstappen leads Red Bull teammate Sergio Perez in the drivers' championship by 14 points. We'll try to look forward to what's expected to be a wonderful race in Monaco. We'll talk the NBA conference finals. There's boxing, the FIFA under 20 World Cup to come. Time to talk about what the world is talking about and the world of sport. Hello from me, George Adder Jr. and welcome to the locker room.
3: On radio, live online, this is The Locker Room with George Ado
4: Jr. Thanks for staying with us on The Locker Room. And remember that you can always connect via WhatsApp line or across our social media handles uh, as we get to interact on what's supposed to be a very, very pacey preview to the sporting weekend. And of course, there's so much to come, but we we'll begin tonight with Formula One.
5: Sergio Perez, who started in the top six here in Monaco for the first time ever, who has led a race in Monaco for the first time ever, who suffered disappointment in Barcelona last time out, and who has rebounded in some style to take his third victory in Formula One. It's Perez in the Principality. He wins the Monaco Grand Prix. Carlos Sainz once more has to settle for a runners up spot behind. Red Bull here in Monaco. Max Verstappen completes the podium with third place and Charles Leclerc in his own race comes home to finish for the first time. But that might not be too much comfort for a race where he led the early stages.
4: Yes, Sergio Perez showcased his street racing credentials at last year's Monaco Grand Prix as he reigned supreme to seal a dramatic victory. But can he do the same in 2023? Oh, the Red Bull driver, along with his teammate Max Verstappen, has shown this year with the team winning every Grand Prix so far in 2023. With Verstappen at the top of the driver's standings at 119 points and Perez just behind in second on 105 points, the draw looks set to star once again around the streets of Monte Carlo. Could Ferrari, Mercedes and Aston Martin challenge on a second unlike any other? We had an unplanned race break last weekend, but we're right back in the mix now with Monaco playing hosts. While Red Bull and Max Verstappen have dominated, Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso are quietly having a good season. Alonso has failed to finish on the podium only once and is currently third in the Drivers' Championship. You know, going to Monaco means a home return for Charles Leclerc. Ironically, it's not especially good news as the Ferrari racer has never had a joyful homecoming. He crashed out in 2018 and 2019 suffered a drive shaft breakage in 2021 right before the start of the race with him at pole and then poor strategy had him finish fourth last year despite starting in pole and so we'll see whether Charlotte Clare is able to come up this time but certainly it's going to be a fantastic race and we're looking forward to it Um, we're definitely going to be giving you updates all through the weekend and we hope that you stick and stay with Joy Sports Basketball next The
1: second half and has played very Solid for the heat. Total defended by Robinson. It's off to White. Slashed On the floor.
4: Yes, the Miami Heat were obliterated 110-97 to by the Boston Celtics in a complete team performance at the TD Garden. Boston, who had lost five of its last seven home playoff games, were facing yet another elimination game. Leading 3-1 in the Eastern Conference Finals, Miami field to close out the series once again, and the Heat will have the opportunity to do so in Game 6 on their home floor on Saturday night. To make some sense of all of this, let's bring in our NBA expert, Kofi Wusu Kofi, thank you very much for your time on the show. How impressive have the Boston Celtics been in their last two games?
0: The Boston Celtics got out to a big lead right from the jump. They played with great energy, great tenacity, great fervency, and they're able to sustain it all through the game. They had 20 points each from Derek Derek White, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. It was a well-rounded effort, and they showed why many people had the Boston Celtics as favorites before this series started unfortunately they got down to a 3-0 lead and like you mentioned no team in nba history has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit people in the media and around the nba landscape however believe that the celtics could perhaps be the first team to come back from a 3-0 deficit that's because they are another traditional team that usually goes down 3-0 they were the second seed obviously they had the first two games at home and the last two games of this series, at least they have one at home, that's game seven. Most of the time it's is in reverse. The team who goes up 3-0 is the team who probably has home court advantage who's probably clearly the better team. But as we saw last night, the Celtics are the better team when they're playing and other, and firing on all cylinders. And I believe game six is going to be one of the best games of this NBA playoffs between the Heats and the Celtics. It's going to be Miami. Miami does not want to return back to Boston to play a game seven. And the Celtics know that they're just one game away from, you know, being in a position to do what people thought was impossible and return from a 3-0 deficit and make it to the NBA Finals. I believe the Celtics have had a a, a great change in, in in their team chemistry in the last couple of days. I don't know if that's possible, but they seem to be a completely different team from game four and game five. From the three previous games they're, they're connected they're motivating each other they are speaking um the team just looks like they have better chemistry and of course they've been making three-point shots that always helps in, this, in today's nba shooting shooting three-pointers is one of the main um, determinants of a game, and for the last two games, the Celtics have been shooting a great percentage from three. The, the, the shots are going in. Sometimes it could be that simple. They say it's a make-or-miss league, so I think the Celtics have just been making their shots in the last couple of games, and that has been the turning point, point. and we look forward to game six, which should be a classic. Well, great stuff
4: there, Kofi. Uh, the Denver Nuggets have made it to the NBA Finals for the first time in their franchise history with a resounding 4-0 series over the Lakers. How did they do so
0: convincingly? A big congratulations to the Denver Nuggets in their first ever finals appearance. They played an amazing series against the Los Angeles Lakers. The two-man game of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray proved to be too much for LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, the Denver Nuggets are a very deep team. The likes of Bruce Brown, Michael Porter Jr., Jeff Green, KCP, Aaron Gordon. They have a very deep roster that gives the coach um, multiple options to put in a in game. Um, you can rest Jokic a bit and the team will still maintain the lead so i think these things were too much for the lakers in the final game for instance lebron james had to play all but four seconds of the game just to give his team a chance but Jokic and mary can get some rest because of the the superior roster that the nuggets have and i believe that that proved to be too much for the lakers um um, the four games were all close they all came down close in the fourth quarter But the Denver Nuggets were able to execute in the fourth quarter in large part to to the same duo of Jamal Murray and Jokic who came up clutch in the fourth quarter. So I believe that's the reason why they're able to come out victorious.
4: Finally, Kofi, LeBron James had a strong 40-point effort in the losing course. He alluded to retirement in his post-game interview. Do you think the King could really call it quits? What do the Lakers need to do in order to have a chance
0: to win next season? Well, I think it's quite amazing that at the age of 38... LeBron James can still score 40 points in the playoff game, in the elimination playoff game. That's quite astounding. Um, he's proven all season that though, though he's, he's in his 20th season, he's still, without a doubt, a top-10 player in the NBA. And I I highly doubt he'll retire. I think after the game, he was a bit emotional. It was a very tough game, tough series. He gave his all, and he came up short. He was a bit emotional and maybe made that that sentiment. But I highly doubt a player of his caliber still playing on this level retire, you know, without coming back next season to try again. Um he's made mention of his son who's now in college that he would love to play with him in the NBA. So the scouts are are, are gauging for him to be a, a first round pick that's next season. So un- until his son comes to the NBA, I highly doubt LeBron James will retire. We'll likely see him next year se- next season. In terms of the Lakers and their roster, um Rob Pelinka their GM did an amazing job to turn around their season. They started the season 2 and 10. They had Russell Westbrook. Things weren't working out, but at the trade deadline, he was able to bring in um, Hachimura, Beasley, Vanderbilt, and they really turned around their season. The likes of, of of Reeves, and even Lonnie Walker off the bench have been revelations for the Lakers. And I believe that they have a good foundation for next season. There's rumors of Kyrie Irving coming to the Lakers, but that would have to that would have to um, that they'll have to crunch the numbers to make sure that um a player of Kyrie Irving's caliber his salary will be able to fit under the salary cap for next season so that would be a great 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 person to add to your team obviously but the numbers have to make sense so I think the Lakers need to add a little bit more shooting maybe a player who can get hit some three pointers in a difficult playoff game and I think next season they will still be contenders and have a good chance to win with Anthony Davis LeBron James and the rest of the squad We'll be looking forward to all the games to come, and we'll see how it goes on Saturday night.
4: A big thank you to you, Kofi Wusu. Kofi Wusu is our NBA expert, and joined us with some analysis. Football, and we head to Spain. Real Madrid's players and fans showed support to Vinicius Junior as they beat rival Icano 2-1 at the Santiago Bernabeu. The win was a club's first match since their Brazilian forward was racially abused at Valencia on Sunday. Real's players took to the pitch in his number 20 shirt while the captains of both teams wore armbands carrying anti-racism messages. Supporters chanted the 22-year-old's name in the 20th minutes in solidarity. But there are still games to play this weekend and the results could be pivotal to who makes Europe and also gets relegated. So, Let's get a bit of perspective now, and we are joined by the Spanish football writer David Withworth. Thanks, Dave, for your time on the show. Shall we start then with the obvious talking points from the last round of games? Vinicius Junior certainly the victim, and racism the topic.
6: Probably the biggest talking point of La Liga in this round of matchday fixtures was at the Mestalla between Valencia and Real Madrid, and it, unfortunately, it wasn't for footballing reasons. Valencia reasons. Valencia winning on the night by a goal to nil. A huge win on their 100th year anniversary, which they celebrated on the 20th of May, which puts them on 40 points and should be enough to keep them in the league. They've had a fantastic month winning three out of the last five matches, which ensures that a uh, a situation that I thought was very dire for them, looking like relegation was odds on, to go into, most likely, they're going to be safe, even with a a round of matches to spare, which has been a fantastic effort by Ruben Baraja, the interim manager of Valencia. But unfortunately, this match will be tarnished by the uh, racism chants towards Vinicius Jr., which is not the first time, unfortunately. Uh, Vinicius was, yeah, given a lot of abuse by... uh, a section of the Valencia fans at the South Stand, let's say, and in other areas, which meant that Vinicius was very angry. Real well, Madrid were naturally very angry, um, and the fallout for this game has been huge. La Liga, um, the RF, EF, the the government of, of football in Spain, have been looking to uh into ways how to 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 have better sanctions. Uh, For instance, Valenti have been charged with 50,000 euros as a fine and a partially closed stadium at that South Stand for the next five matches. But I think more needs to be done because this is a problem that's very, very deep-rooted and it needs to be hit on the head once and for all. This can't go on and just giving fines and uh, banners and um, adverts is simply not enough. There is a protocol with referees that there's a three-stage protocol that the referee can analyze a situation, temporarily postpone a game, and then call off a game completely. The referee was in stage one of this match, he analyzed the situation, but he deemed that the situation uh, was not enough in that moment, which I think was clearly wrong looking back now with hindsight. They really should have uh, suspended this game. And, uh, and, and really made a, a focus. I think that the only way to stamp this out is to really, really ban these individuals for life and stop matches. I think that's only when that the message is going to get through that we can actually no, say no to racism forever.
4: Dave, Barcelona seem to have taken the foot off the pedal to winning La Liga. Does this hypothesis explain the recent slump?
6: Since Barcelona have won La Liga, they've certainly taken their foot off the gas. They've had numerous defeats in recent weeks and back-to-back for the first time in a long, long while. Firstly, against Real Sociedad, probably the informed team of La Liga. Losing at camp now by two goals to one. It was a very, very accomplished performance. Very classy goal by Solath, the Real Sociedad striker towards the end of the match and it was another impressive win for the San Sebastián outfit who are looking very much like securing a top 4 place this season. For Barcelona they suffer back-to-back defeats against Real Sociedad and an embarrassing defeat at Real Valladolid who were fighting for their life to stay in La Liga losing by 3 goals to 1 on that match so it's a difficult one to analyse. Obviously Barca fans are very happy with winning La Liga but just takes a little bit of the gloss out of the the, the victory with uh with the lack of, of form towards the end of the season
4: now definitely I know you were on site almost all the time to watch uh, the closely contested derbies and, and this time it was a derby in your region how did Sevilla and Real Betis go?
6: The biggest match of the week was, of course, El Gran Derby. The big derby match between Betis and Sevilla from the city of Seville, where I am currently living. Always a, a fantastic occasion. The flamboyance, the colour, the passion, the rivalry stretching back over a 100 years. And it was a typical derby this time around. Not much quality. I think that tension got the best of both teams. It was a nil-nil affair, very dull match. High on passion, lacking in quality. Sevilla had the better chances towards the end of the match when Juan Miranda, the left back of Betis, was rightly red carded for a very, very bad, timely challenge on Jesus Navas. He apologized after the game. There was no maliciousness about it. It was simply a very, very rash and badly timed uh, challenge on, on the player. So it's a point for both teams which means that sevilla keep on moving up the the table and for Betis they only need one more point to be in the europa league next season
4: dave the top four battle is very much on and it appears vrl are ready to give real sociedad a serious run for their money how is it going already
6: vrl keep a pace of real sociedad in the top four battle Real Sociedad are definite favourites to finish in that berth, but Viral are giving them a run for the money and they won again at a, a very impressive win at Girona, who are one of the informed teams of La Liga, winning by two goals to one, meaning that Kike Setien's team are yeah, in the mix for uh, a top four place, but most likely will be finished in fifth uh, next season. They've had a very, very good season, or second half of the season, I should say. Viral were languishing in ninth position uh, at the start of the year, but have climbed the ranks to 5th place and they should be in the Europa League next season. And finally,
4: Dave, a vital win for Cadiz increased the chances of retaining the La Liga status.
6: Can their fans be hopeful? There was a big match at the wrong end of the table between Cadiz and Valladolid, which kicked off this matchday fixtures last Friday. And it was a win for Cadiz at home, against Valladolid by two goals to nil. A big, big win for Cadiz. It might be the win that keeps them in La Liga next season, and they were cheered on by a boisterous and passionate support base. As for Valladolid, well, they took that game and used it as motivation because they beat Barcelona the next game. Surprising result, but that's the end of the season. These teams are fighting for their life, and these teams at the top end of the table... They won't be relishing the prospect of playing teams at the bottom because they know that they're fighting for their life. It's a different pressure at the bottom than it is to the top. And for Vida Leaf, they still are in danger, but it's a massive victory that gives us, gives them more hope of staying in La Liga next season.
4: Thank you very much, Dave, for your time. Uh, David Withworth is a Spanish football writer, also reports for Real Betis. And joined us with some analysis on the Spanish Liga. Let's now head to Italy and talk the Serie A. Well, the title is decided in Italy. We know Napoli are champions, but Inter Milan found silverware ahead of their Champions League final on the 10th of June. Juventus were docked 10 points, which changes the dynamics of the top four race. Napoli look resigned to lose head coach Spalletti. And there are intriguing games to come this weekend. So let's get through the stories and permutations ahead of the season's climax. And we're joined by our Serie A expert, Sitcho Astrim. Thank you very much, Sitcho, for your time. Let's start with the Champions League finalists. uh, Inter Milan, who won the Coppa Italia for a ninth time after a 2-1 win over Fiorentina at a Stadio Olimpico in Rome. How much of a statement uh, did Simeone Izagi make with this?
7: Yeah, George. Even though their form in the league has been disappointing, it's it's practically impossible to look back on what they've achieved this season and call it a failure. Yeah, don't be disappointed, as I said about the Serie A. But to win the Coppa Italia and to win the Super Cup, and 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 the Inzaghi is special, and to also remember that they are playing in Champions League final, it's, yeah. it's it's brilliant again. So, yeah, and Inzaghi is proven. It's very much in everybody's minds now across the world, across Europe. Everybody now. Knows that this man is special for cups because you've got to go back to 2016, 2017, 2017. That's the last time Simone Inzaghi's side in a cup final lost it. And even in that game, if anybody remembers, I think it's Jerry mobile who missed a couple of glaring chances. And if he they took their chance on the ninth, the storyline could have been different on the ninth. But since then, in every cup final that he's played, either with Lazio or either with Inter Milan, he's gone on to win. So he's truly a man for the final. But he's got one more big final to play, Simone Inzaghi. And he's got to prove that well and truly it's not only Italian cup finals, but, you know, he can do it in Europe. But, yeah, you look back on the game against Fiorentina. After Fiorentina had a great start through uh, Nico Gonzalez, who's having a brilliant season for them, they're he got he got them off the mark, scored an early goal, but Inter responded and responded well. And when you look at the fact that, again, Inzaghi went into that cup game where there's cup players... You know, his cup players are normally a mixture of some of his starters and some of the other players who haven't played much. So, Handanovic was in post, goes played well, got minutes in the game. You know, and he trusts his, his other players to go on and do their job. And he moves the team to, to face these adversities in cup games. And straight after that, Inter got onto the front foot again. Lautaro Martinez got himself freed up in the box with acres of space and scored the equaliser. And soon after, in that second, in that first half, you know, got on the end of a, a brilliant, you know, just clip a clipped ball into the box from Barrela and then he lashed on to it from a volley. It was a spectacular goal from Lautaro Martinez, a player who is having an, an astonishing season. I think post the World Cup, has been brilliant. We we know many people saw his World Cup and thought he wasn't uh, good enough, but not many people also knew that he went into the World Cup with an ankle injury, I had to play games with painkillers and injections, so he wasn't 100 percent. But now that he's fit again, he's firing at all cylinders. He's, he's, he's better this record. Last time out, he's got 25 goals in the whole season. This time, he's got 27 goals to his name. So, yeah, what a time for the captain to come to form for Inter Milan. Congratulations to them for winning the the Coppa Italia. And they'll be looking forward to maybe repeat the same feat when they take on Man City in the Champions League final.
4: Seijo, coach Luciano Spalletti would leave Napoli at the end of the season, as multiple reports suggest. And the coach himself implied in the most recent press conference after the game against International uh, quote, I'm not waiting for something. Everything is clear. It just needs to be said. Uh, unquote. What has gone wrong? And where do Napoli go from here?
7: George, <laughs> It's a sh- okay for any football club in europe it's a shame it really is but when the club in question is napoli then it's almost like deja vu it's almost like we are back here again it's napoli have got an incredible story of imploding you know in themselves or having an implosion in themselves it's Oh, very well. That Aurelio De Laurentiis is a very difficult man to work with. I mean, as many people who are close to the club or have worked with him have said before. Luciano Paletti as well, is that is that one coach who can also be, <clears throat> sorry, can also be emotional, can also be very demanding of certain standards. And I think all of it started when um, Aurelio De Laurentiis was very disappointed that Napoli couldn't beat AC Milan in the Champions League a quarter final. He thought. The team this season was good enough to even go on into the Champions League and maybe reach the final, perhaps even win it. So in the manner in which they bowed out to AC Milan, a team where many people consider inferior to this Napoli side, there was a lot of disgust from Aurelio de Laurentiis. So he wasn't very happy. And let's also remember that Luciano Spalletti is one of the lowest-earned coaches in the Italian Serie A. And when you think about it, he's gone on to win it. I think he earns around reportedly around 3 million euros a year. It's not necessarily about the money, though, but there was a clause that in in, in, his, in his contract for Napoli, that they say that Napoli could trigger an extension of his contract. Now, after that defeat in that Champions League, a few days after, Aurelio DiLaurentis got his lawyers to send an email to Luciano Spalletti that they are renewing or they are triggering the extension of his contract. I think that didn't sit down well with Luciano Spalletti because he thought. After the season that he's had or the season that he is having, it was going to be a face-to-face discussion because perhaps then maybe, just maybe, he would have negotiated for a higher wage or salary than what he's receiving, which is being reported to be around 3 million euros. But the point then is, that never happened. It was an email to him, just accept that your contract has been extended by the clause in the contract. Elisabeth Paletti never really you know, took that on board quite well and when he was questioned about it he, he actually has said that it's not about the money but because it's, he's made a lot of money anyway from coaching but that takes us back to Luciano Spalletti's time in in, in Roma if you remember this in Roma he in his last days when Roma finished with their highest point tally ever the season, when that season ended he left the club because he felt the club didn't didn't really you know back him during his episode with Francesco Totti Because the club had asked Luciano Spalletti to retire Francesco Totti and when Francisco Totti had come out with his autobiography and had, had about five chapters out of six describing how Spalletti had treated him in his last season, the club didn't really back him. The club really were in sync with you know, Totti because they, got, they wanted to get the fans behind him. So he left on that principle. So I think that is where you know Spalletti is not happy that at least, really Dolores didn't have the face-to-face talk with him and it was just sent the, 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 the contracts through to him in, in mail and remember when Luciano, when Aurelio De Laurentiis was asked about it, he said, well, he cannot clip anybody's wings to stay at the club. And when Spalletti also responded, Spalletti was like, he doesn't need wings to walk out of the club. He only needs a pair of boots. So it, it doesn't really look good now. And it's very it's very disappointing that for a group that has worked together so well this season, we might not see them continuing. The question then would be what effect it has on the players. Because many players would have been looking around the club and thinking they want to continue their development under the Luciano Spalletti. But it wouldn't even be so. But we know Napoli then would also selling you know, or buying players from Napoli can be difficult apart from Kim who has a buyout clause but we'll see how that goes but surely it's going to be disappointing to see that Paletti is not going to be there as the coach for Napoli after winning the Scudetto with them after 33 years. Shocking. Shocking. But in the case of Napoli, it's deja vu.
4: Cicho, we know Juventus have been handed a 10-point deduction that will ruin the chances of qualifying for next season's Champions League. That certainly changes things right now, Sicho.
7: It absolutely changes everything, changes everything and, and, and from many quarters, it jeopardizes the league in itself because listen Juventus are in top four today tomorrow they're not in top four they are, they've got 15 points back they've inducted 15 points now they've got 10 points inducted. and for many managers in the series the thinking is if they, if, they, if why wouldn't they wait for Juventus to accumulate all the points they can accumulate on the pitch and at the end of the season you sanction them and tell them you saw, if accumulated these points, but because of A, B, C and 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 D, we are deducting 10 points. Then you see where they end. Because for the manager, they are thinking that when at some point they have 15 points and at some point they don't have it, it also comes into the way they plan for their games. And so it's actually jeopardized how the season is looking for many managers in and around that top four places. And for Juve as well, so the appeal courts came out to say that they are handing Juventus 10 points. And as I, I think I said it somewhere last week. That what was being speculated was that a a punishment was going to be meted out to Juve. That would have meant that there was nowhere it was practically close to impossible, that they would qualify for Europe. And that is how strict they wanted the punishment to be. Or to the Champions League. And that is the punishment they've got now. Now Juve have dropped out of the top when they're in seventh place. Seventh place in Italy. is a conference league place for Juventus. But they've got two games to go. They've got this weekend and they've got the final weekend to go. If they can win the results... In and around them aren't good enough. That'll be some six points they will gain. Six points will take them to 65 points. At the moment, Milan are in fourth place with 64 points. If Milan do not win any game, Roma who are in 6th and Atalanta who are in fifth do not win any game, and Juve win both games, Juve goes into the top four. But that is unlikely. That's unlikely that those teams above them don't win anything. So practically, Juve will be out of the the top four conversation. And in fact. Before the ban was handed to them, Juve were just about to play Empoli, in which they lost. Had they won that game against Empoli, even with this ban, Juve would have still been in the conversation to finish in the top four. By the moment, it doesn't look likely. And, and, and Juve still can go on an appeal, but it's almost looking like they would take this one on the chain, re-strategize and come back again next season, fighting for Scudetto in top four places, and maybe then go on and qualify for it.
4: So how are the weekend's games likely to impact the top four standings, with very little separating third, fourth and fifth?
7: Yeah, the top four has been has been a pendulum swinging, hasn't it? And, and, and now that Juventus have even dropped out of it now, Milan are back into the conversation. Atalanta are back into the conversation. Roma, on the other hand, as well, will be thinking they've got a chance. So this weekend presents as very, very cracking games for teams that want to be there. Milan are playing against Juventus. At the, at the alliance arena at the alliance stadium it's, it's going to be a cracking game really because if milan wants to keep that place in that champions League places they absolutely need to get the results at least manage a draw in this game away from home because if they do and even atalanta go on and win their game over the weekend against Internazionale milano then atalanta then get leveled on points or they just get leveled on points with you know um sorry they get one point behind milan if milan do get a draw and Juventus would also know that they have to keep knocking on the door because beating Milan now and hoping that Inter do them a favor against Atalanta means that into the final game of the season, they could still make they have a slim hope of making top four. So, all of this makes this 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 time very exciting. AS Roma as well will be playing against Fiorentina, Fiorentina in a rich vein of form. They couldn't win the Coppa Italia, they'll be hoping to bounce back and finish as high as possible in the Serie A. It is going to be a cracking game when, when Roma also play against them. So, yeah. Apart from maybe Lazio, who at the moment look like I mean, they will play in the top four, not sure if they will finish second, but they will play in the top four, Milan, Atalanta, Roma and Juventus all have chances of playing in that top four, which makes it an exciting weekend of Italian Serie A football, going into the uh, this weekend game before we see the final, the penultimate game, going into the penultimate game this weekend before we see the final match week next weekend.
4: Cicho Stream is our Serie A expert and joined us with some analysis. Bundesliga next. Sebastian Haller scored twice as Borussia Dortmund beat 10-man Oxbeck to go about Bayern Munich and one win away from the Bundesliga title. Before a ball was kicked on March 33, Dortmund needed a helping hand to have any chance of winning a first title since 2012. They got that on Saturday night when RB Leipzig beat leaders Bayern Munich. It meant Dortmund will be champions if they won their final two games starting in Augsburg. And the visitors came out knowing that victory was required and did exactly that. The final day will be very interesting because Dortmund can win It's All they need to do is go ahead and win their game. And to help us look forward to what's supposed to be a special one in Germany is Chris Harrington from our partner station DW in Berlin. Thank you very much, Chris, for your time. Unless Dortmund slip up, which is very unlikely. Uh, the Bundesliga is theirs. Should losing the title from a Bayern Munich perspective lead to Thomas
1: Tuchel losing his job? In my opinion, Bayern don't have a choice but fire Thomas Tuchel. You know, um, I, I think when you look at Thomas Tuchel's history, he's always butted heads with management. You know, this happened at Dortmund, happened at Chelsea. And it always uh, led to the same thing. And I think that he's going to have a hard time convincing Brass to keep him longer when he just basically had to drive straight. You know, right? Like the title, you know, was theirs in their grasp. Um, and you you could argue that they could have had a shot at the Champions League, uh, you know, but that didn't work out well for them. Yeah, uh, Thomas Dool, after their recent defeat, which was an embarrassing defeat. You got to consider the historical significance of their defeat. You know, first, prior to him, Julian Nagelsmann had a historic uh, defeat when they got booted out of the German cup uh, by the hands of Gladbach uh, two editions ago by five goals. You know, and and if you have an overturned lead at halftime at home, you know, it's going to obviously stick in the minds of those making decisions, offering long-term deals to coaches. Now, I, you know, my instinct tells me Thomas Toole doesn't have an ironclad contract. Clearly, Julian Nagelsmann did not the way he was fired, you know, over the phone or through the words of a journalist. You know, depends on what version, you know, you listen to. But uh, after the recent defeat, Thomas Toole says the season is not over. Yeah, of, of course. You know, what else are you going to say? Of course he's going to say that. You know, the players are not performing. They, you know, they didn't show up. They, they were making foolish decisions on defense which put them in the predicament they're in right now, which means that they potentially could see their reign come to an end. And I do think, I mentioned, I referenced the Titanic earlier in the week, I do think that once one player jumps the ship, these young core talents that they try to secure long-term deals with, you know, I'm speaking of Joshua Kimmich, Serge Gnabry, you know, they've been somewhat a core of, like, the new page of Bayern Munich, the new generation, Leon Goretzka, you can throw in that mix. I think players will be looking to depart when... You know, they can't figure out who's going to be the head. You know, um, I don't think Thomas Tujol has done anything to gain the confidence of those calling the shots. So I do think that uh, the rumors will increase of him being fired. And I wouldn't be shocked if they recall Julian Nagelsmann, because they'll be paying him anyway.
4: And, of course, Heather Bellina headed down. Question for you, Chris,
1: is who will be joining them? You know, that's always an interesting uh, battle the relegation battle right when you look at the standings you know you have 14 15 16 17 all kind of tight augsburg at 14 34 points they're at gladbach which has been a tough opponent but they're not going anywhere they're in the middle they're in what you would call bundesliga purgatory you know no up or down just very very safe stuttgart a 15th they're level with uh bohem they all, both have 32 points. Now, the relegation playoff spot is number 16. That's the golden number, you know. Um, and it, because 15, 16 are level on points, 17, Schalke, a seasoned Bundesliga side who recently got promoted back to the Bundesliga, uh, are on 31 points. So it, it's it's very tight. You know, when you look at their opponents Stuttgart, They host Hoffenheim. You know, they're safe. They're not going anywhere. You know, that could be maybe lean in Stuttgart's favor. Bohem, their opponent concerns me because Leverkusen have an opportunity to punch their ticket to Europe, and I don't think they'll take that lightly because obviously there's a cash incentive to do that, and exposure and so forth. You know, Bohem plans for, for survival. You know, you have nothing to lose, but that should be a very competitive match. You know, uh, Schalke is at RB Leipzig. RB Leipzig. Always a fortress at home. And I do think that uh, RB Leipzig will continue being a fortress. There's no reason for them to slow down now. I do think they'll end their season on a high note. You know, it's going to be very interesting uh, to say. You know, uh, I know one thing's only guaranteed. Head to Berlin is going down. I do think that's a disgrace because they recently got some more money with an investor and all these things. And they have some legal issues. They might even get relegated uh, even beyond the uh, second Bundesliga, depending upon the outcome of this legal issue that that's going on right now in Germany. Uh, so all in all, it should be a very competitive match day. Uh, a lot will be tuned in to the top and bottom of the action, something that hasn't happened in quite some time.
4: Before we let you go, Chris, what else has hit your radar?
1: Yeah, just a bit of reference on Sadio Mane. You know, I've been referencing him, talking about him, touching on him, and, you know, how I feel about... The, his treatment, you know, maybe the respect, maybe it's a culture clash because he was one of the names thrown into the reasoning of Julian Nagelsmann departing, potentially losing respect for the club. I do think that that's, you know, an uh, unfortunate situation, you know, and then looking at, you know, the way Thomas Tuchel has been using him, you know, I think he checked him in the last match in the 89th minute. I mean, if that's not disrespect, I don't know what it is, you know, especially when you consider the talent, you know, the player has, um, it's unfortunate, you know, because I, I was hoping that he would open a door. This was such a potential move for the Bundesliga and the Premier League, maybe just to bring more uh, allure, just, you know, more attraction to the Bundesliga. If Sadio Mane in the Bayern uh, relationship ended happily, obviously it doesn't look like that's the case. And Premier League clubs are, are calling. I do expect him to depart because he's just sitting on the bench collecting dust. There's no reason... For him to be, you know, where he is in his career, he could still, I do think, has uh, plenty of uh, uh, minutes left of quality on the pitch. Hopefully he does find that team that's a better fit. It's sad to see Bayern Munich, but I do think it's a reality of life. Bayern Munich looks to be in a transitional period. And uh, that could be good for the Bundesliga, obviously bad for Bayern fans, but I do think it's sad because there was so much potential with the Sadio Mane in uh, Bayern Munich move. You know, uh, it's sad to see... It uh, not live up to its potential
4: thank you very much for the Bundesliga update Chris Harrington is from a partner station DW in Berlin and joined us with that so it's now time to get into the joy sports BBC two-way series and always a pleasure speaking to my colleague John Bennett as we rounded up what has been an absolutely great English Premier League season enjoy Thanks John for your time on the show and it's amazing. We're almost at the end of the season. What a run it has been. A big thank you to you for all the help all through the season. Can we then just end this beautifully? Uh, John, Leicester City. Is a bit of a dilemma, you know. In the last three seasons preceding this, they finished fifth in the Premier League and in both seasons were a combined five points off a Champions League sport. Last season, though, they finished with a lowly ninth compared to the standards they set in season spur. And now they enter the final day of the season in the relegation zone with their fate out of their hands. Brendan Rodgers was appointed boss in 2019 and fired this
3: season due to their poor run was it a decision too late hi george yes i think you make a good point i think brendan Rodgers should have been sacked earlier it's, it's always easy to see in hindsight but the problems were there leicester city was sleepwalking into this relegation now they're sprinting into it for me it was clear there were, there were big problems when leicester was thrashed last season in the fa cup by nottingham forest and after the game, Brendan Rodgers talked about a refresh. He was clearly not happy with his squad. So you get to that next transfer window, Leicester only made two signings, a reserve goalkeeper and Wout Fast to replace Wesley Fofana, who was a much better player without being disrespectful, disrespectful to Wout Fast, who's done well at times this season, despite a couple of nightmare performances. So it was clear then that Leicester had a manager who wasn't happy with his squad. Then the season starts and they have an awful losing run to start the season. Results do pick up before the World Cup, which in hindsight, again, is a bad thing because it meant that Brendan Rodgers stayed when it was clear that the club needed a new manager. I have a lot of respect for Brendan Rodgers. The job he did at Leicester was unbelievable. Two top five finishes, nearly getting to the Champions League, winning the FA Cup. Amazing times for Leicester fans. But clearly there was a problem. Clearly... Leicester had got to the end of the road with Brendan Rodgers, but the club just didn't take the decision to sack him. I think there have, there's been some poor de- decision-making behind the scenes at Leicester. For example, letting players re- see out their contracts like Yuri Tillemans. James Madison is entering the final year of his contract as well. So that, that just sums it up. The, the poor decision-making behind the scenes, I think, has led to the problems out on the pitch. In
4: case they go down, the team is not without talent. Thielema, Madison, and Harvey Barnes are amongst some bright players who could end up not following them into the championship. Which top Premier League or European sides can you see swooping in for any of these three?
3: Yeah, Leicester will be completely unrecognisable when the season starts next season. So many players leaving out of contract. And also, yeah, the big assets like James Madison, Harvey Barnes, they may have to sell them to raise money to buy by a number of players James Madison keeps getting linked with Newcastle I really like James Madison but there are problems with him I think in terms of his fitness how many games he's been able to play this season and also some mistakes that he's made but yeah he will get a big move I think he's got a a brilliant football brain and you could see him going to Newcastle Harvey Barnes has been disappointing at times this season despite when you look at his numbers he's got good numbers in terms of assists and, and goals so Again, I think teams in the top half of the table will be looking at him. Yuri Tillemans was expected to leave a year ago. Arsenal were being mentioned. Nothing happened. So I wonder where he'll go, whether he'll stay in the Premier League. A Tottenham maybe would make sense or whether he'll go to Liga or whether he'll go to La Liga or Serie A. There'll be lots of teams interested, but for, for Leicester, it's, it's difficult because they're going to lose a lot of players who have been the, the stars of the last few years with that FA Cup win and, and getting close to the Champions League
4: well then John it's between Everton Leicester and Leeds who will stay up out of those three <laughs> and who is in the best position to bounce back to the Premier League if they do go down
3: well Everton have to be the big favourites they've got that, that points advantage so they know if they beat Bournemouth at home then they'll be staying up and listen Bournemouth are a good side don't get me wrong but if you if, if you're offered the chance to beat Bournemouth at home to stay up and you don't take it then you deserve to go down to be honest so yeah, I think Everton are the big favourites second favourites is difficult to tell because at the moment Leicester City they don't look like winning games so can they can they beat West Ham who are flying who've got to a conference league final Leeds can they beat Tottenham I think they probably can I saw Tottenham last week at Brent, against Brentford and they were really poor Who's in the best position to bounce back? I think all three would have difficulties. Leicester losing a lot of players because they're out of contract, being forced probably to sell James Madison, Harvey Barnes. They'd be completely unrecognisable. Everton would have big financial issues because they've got a, a new stadium which is being built. Leeds also, they'd have some issues, but they're the team who have been in the, the Premier League for the shortest time since they were promoted. So maybe they're, they're better set up to, to bounce straight back up and they're protected with a lot of players unlike Leicester being on long contracts Um, but it's difficult I think you can use Burnley as a good blueprint as to what to do to bounce straight back up they lost a lot of players had to sign a lot of new players but they completely changed their identity their style of play and they'll be back in the Premier League next season John
4: we're entering the final day of the season so let's do a locker room end of season awards besides Arsenal which team picks up the overachievers tag and of course putting Chelsea aside Which of the 20 teams surprised you with their underperformance? And then you tell us about your coach of the year, your most promising young player of the year, and your playmaker of the season. I think you also have to add your transfer flop of the season, John.
3: Yeah, let's rattle through this then, George. I like doing this at the end of the season. Overachievers, I would say Newcastle. Yes, they've got a lot of money, but when you look at actually the players that they brought in, It wasn't a huge amount. I think they're taking it slow in terms of how they invest in the squad. We expected them maybe to break into the top six. They've broken into the top four. So let's go for Newcastle as overachievers. Second place, though, will be Bournemouth, because we all expected Bournemouth to be bottom of the table, and they've avoided relegation at a canter. They're not involved in any of the end-of-season drama. So brilliant job by Gary O'Neill. Um, Underperformers, yeah, you, you've you've banned me from mentioning Chelsea, but they have been awful, haven't they? Let's go for Tottenham again. Under Antonio Conte, you expected them to do well. They've been awful. They're going to miss out on European football. Just it's just dreadful at the moment for the fans, on and off the pitch. They they can't see any glimmers of light. Coach of the year, I will go for Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth with Eddie Howe and Mikel Arteta in joint second place. Most promising young player. That's a very interesting question. Gabriel Martinelli, I think for me, has been the young player that I've enjoyed watching the most. And playmaker of the season. I'm going to come across as an Arsenal fan here. I'm not an Arsenal fan, <laughs> but I'm going to go for Martin Odegaard for playmaker of the year. Although Kevin De Bruyne, even though he hasn't really hit the heights that he's hit before, has still been sensational. Transfer flop of the season. Well, I think we can pick anyone who's been signed by Chelsea. <laughs> I'm really sorry, George. Um, someone like Wesley Fofana, maybe. Am I being harsh there? Even Enzo Fernandez. Um, it's difficult. I don't want to be harsh on those individual players because I think they've gone into a situation at Chelsea which was which was very very tough. But yeah, I think I think it would have to be one of one of the Chelsea new signings.
4: Well, very, very interesting there from John. And look, John Brighton will have qualified for the Europa League, though, in only deserve first season. A big testament to the sort of work he's done with the Seagulls. I know there are many questions concerning what he's changed of the club, but let's look forward a bit. And bearing in mind the club's idea, they've built minimal spending but getting in the right talent. How far can they go in the European foray next
3: season? Well, it's all about how they balance their squad. It's a, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? The Thursday to Sunday games. Mentally, it's very difficult to get into that habit of play. He's going to have to rotate his squad, Roberto De Zerbi. The good thing is he's he's used to European football. He was manager of Shakhtar Donetsk. He knows all about the challenges of European football. They're going to have to increase their squad. Uh, but they do have good numbers in that squad. Good young players coming through. Um, They'll that, that obviously have to bring in more numbers over the European summer, but... They're a fantastic proposition for new players, aren't they, Brighton? Because you know you're going to play great football. You know you're playing under one of the most um, innovative coaches in world football right now. There's talk of players like James Milner coming in, adding experience. I think that's a brilliant signing because of his European experience. So I think Brighton will cope. And it was really interesting this week. Guillaume Balaguer, who does work for BBC, he's a journalist, really good journalist. I'm sure many of your listeners know about him follow him on social media um he was saying that he was talking to the head coach of sporting ruben Amorim, and Amorim was saying that he's been studying brighton and working out that if he were how how he would go about stopping brighton if he were to face them how he would go about defending against brighton apparently the way brighton plays impressing so many people around europe so That makes you think that Brighton, if they get their squad numbers correct, they could go a long way in the Europa League. So John,
4: what about Arsenal? Champions League football returns to the Emirates. What sort of changes do you envision Mikel Arteta
3: making? Well, I don't think it's changes. I think it's additions that they need. And I think Mikel Arteta has to be backed in the transfer market. That's going to be a real sign of how ambitious, ambitious Arsenal are by how much backing Mikel Arteta gets in the transfer market. Let's Let's see what happens. They're talking about Declan Rice coming in. Uh, they were being linked with Mason Mount, although it looks as though Manchester United are the favourites to, to sign him now. I think they need a striker. I think they need a centre back. I think they need a left back. Um and possibly another midfielder. So that's a lot, isn't it? You're talking about a lot of money, a lot of spending. Are, are, are the Arsenal board going to give Mikel Arteta the backing? Because I think he's had a great season, Arsenal. They've had a great season. Mikel Arteta's had a great season. But they have to back it up now. They have to show that they can be contenders, not just in one season, but it, but next season as well. And next season, Liverpool will be back. Chelsea might be back as a contender as well. It's, it's going to get even more difficult for Arsenal. So I think Mikel Arteta has to be backed in the transfer market. John let's head into
4: Newcastle where Champions League will be returning next season. We have been all witnesses to Eddie Howe's impressive career in England, starting from Bournemouth, but are if any
3: fears this big European jump might be a muscle too huge for him to chew? I think they could do well. I think the way that they're developing has been very intelligent. It's a slow process. They're not just signing big names. Yes, they've made great signings like Bruno Guimaraes, But also, Eddie Howe improved the players that were already there, like Miguel Almiron, like Joel Linton So I, I think that, that bodes well for what's going to happen in the summer transfer window in terms of the type of players who are going to come in but also the type of personalities. I could see them signing four players who can improve the first 11 and maybe some squad players as well. So maybe you go up to maybe six new signings because that squad probably needs to be improved as well. But I think they have a lot of good people behind the scenes like Dan Ashworth, Eddie Howe is, is proven at improving players. So I think next season they, they, they could do okay in the Champions League. I was there on Monday. What an atmosphere! The loudest fans that I've come across this season, you can imagine when the likes of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid go to St. James's Park. Wow, the atmosphere is going to be incredible. Thank you very much, John Bennett, for your time. John
4: Bennett with a Joy Sports BBC two-way series there. Now time to keep an eye on the Ghanaian performances that come across Europe this week. And with a tap on all these, here is Razak
2: Musbao. Yes, George, starting in the English Premier League. We know the fate of Mohamed Salishu and Kamaldin is already sealed after the relegation was confirmed some weeks ago. Black Stars captain Andrea Yu and Nottingham Forest have also confirmed their stay in the English Premier League following last weekend's victory over Arsenal. Also, Antoine Semenyos-Bonnemot, who line 15th on the table, are also safe. Well, at Crystal Palace, Jordan Yu is also safe and we'll be seeing more of him in the English Premier League come next season. Of course, we know they are currently Lying 11th with 44 points and could even finish With 47 points If they're able to overcome Nottingham Forest In their last game this weekend So, it's been a pretty good season for Antoine Samenho's Bournemouth And even Jordan Hughes Crystal Palace But, and even for Hughes Nottingham Forest We wait to see if Andreu will even continue his stay At Nottingham Forest Considering he was signed for only Six months, but I'm not too sure how Thomas Pate will be feeling now, you know, but uh, the only thing he could take solace in is the qualification for uh, the Champions League for the first time in, is it some, six, seven years. And uh, we can only wait to see what he and Arsenal will have to offer us come next season after they fail to clinch the title. But they will have the opportunity to end the season at the Emirate when they face World, and will be hoping to appease the fans with an emphatic victory there. For Daniel Amate, although Leicester City are in a very precarious situation, it's very unlikely he will be there next season. And uh, after over four years with the club, uh, he's setting to make a move away from the club. And uh, it's been almost five games that he's not been able to make into the match day squad. And uh, for Leicester City's last game against West Ham this weekend is very unlikely he's going to be even on the bench. In France, Gideon Mensah and Elisha Wusu are also in danger of relegation with Auxerre. They lie 16 to a 34 point, just one point above the drop with two games remaining. They will travel to Toulouse this weekend and will need to try and avoid a loss and uh, hope that they can get uh, some three points in their last game at home and guarantee top-life football in the French League. Come next season. Likewise for Alexander Jacuz Strasbourg, who are 15 to 39 point, five points above the drop zone. Again, with two games to go and one coming against PSG this weekend at home. They just can hope that they can afford defeat or at the very least get a draw in their remaining two games and they can guarantee safety. For Ali claim Clermont Foot, they are safe and at the moment they will just be looking forward to finishing the season very well as they look forward to what next season will have for them now in the Spanish La Liga there are two games remaining there and for Josef Edu Celta Vigo they are currently sitting at the 14th position with 40 points and guess what just two above the drop just two points outside of the relegation zone they are not safe yet clearly and this weekend they have a game against 17th placed Cadiz who are on 38 points so it's a crucial game, and clearly they can't afford to drop point if they want to stay up come next season. It's not different in Serbia for Edmond Ado, who's Sparta uh, Subotica are also battling relegation, lying just two points above the drop with one game to go. It will be, and that is going to be against another relegation threatened side, FK Rudnik, and a draw won't be enough. To guarantee safety for Edmond Ado's side, well, uh, and just a little bit in Spain, Baba Idrisu, Mallorca is safe, likewise in Williams, Atlético Bilbao, they are also safe. And for Atlético Bilbao, they are hoping they could just uh, be able to pick six points, and if the teams ahead of them could drop some points, then they just might secure some European football come next season, probably the Conference League or something of that sort. So George, we can only wish uh, all the players the very best as the season rounds up. We know Andy Yadom and Barbara Mann's reading have been relegated from the English Championship. Uh, They've moved now to the third tier of English football. We know Kevin Prince-Barthi's Heather Berlin have also been relegated to the second division uh, of the Bundesliga and so we can only wish